If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me to James chapter 2, and we're going to get into a very um, well-understood or well-known subject, with it, which is the marriage of faith and works. And as I've shared with you many times in the past, faith is trust, and so what we're dealing with is how our trust plays out in our lives, right? How our trust in God should play out in our lives. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14 and going through verse 26. These are the words of God. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it, is, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I think uh, when we read through the book of James, people naturally understand what James is saying. I think James is a good communicator. I think James is just a real guy. And so a lot of times the headiness of theology seems to evaporate and James just kind of calls it what it is. Hey guys, your trust in God needs to show action, right? Your faith needs to have feet. And so I think when we hear things like faith without works is dead, it really doesn't seem terribly complicated. Now, it may be rejected by some, uh, but it's not complicated. What I mean by that is just a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you uh, the history of uh, canonizing scripture. For example, Martin Luther was no fan of the book of James. He called it the epistle of straw. Uh, he didn't like the book of Hebrews. He didn't like the book of Revelations. And he wanted all of them removed from the canon of scripture. And why was that? Well, primarily because this verse here, or uh, verse 14 and verse 24, seem to take aim at one of the, the great solas of the Reformation, which is sola gratia, or, or by faith, uh, by grace alone. And so James just kind of puts it to us by saying, uh, just so you know, your salvation and your justification, by the way, he uses both of these terms, salvation is referred to in verse 14 and justification in verse 24, uh, have something to do with what we do in our life. Now, uh, make sure you understand this, that it has nothing to do with us earning our salvation before God, but it does have everything to do with whether or not our faith is genuine or our faith is real. And so there is no justification, there is no salvation, there is no life 
in a Christian if all you claim is faith. All you claim is, well, I trust God. And then people look at your life and they say, well, I don't see it. And you go, well, you know, I, I still do. This is between me and God. Who are you to judge me? <laughs> Which is atypical, Christian, prideful, ridiculous response. So the idea is that James is communicating something that's very easy to understand, not complicated at all, and yet it is not necessarily liked because it puts this, um, it puts this responsibility square on our shoulders, right? Faith has to have feet, Faith has to have feet or it's not faith at all. And again, it is both a part of our justification and our salvation. However, uh, what it means to work out our faith uh, in a specific manner is where this whole story gets complicated. And so today is going to be filled with a couple of uh, conversations that I have had over the past few weeks Uh, concerning faith and works because I feel that putting it into the framework of a real conversation is going to speak to you. I think you're going to hear what I'm saying and say, I think that exact same thing. I struggle with that exact same thing. So uh, faith without works is dead. We get this. It's not complicated. It may not be a a good pill to swallow, but it's not complicated. But when life gives us specifics, when we're all of a sudden faced with a real situation in our life, uh, trusting God becomes a question of how. Amen? How do I trust God? I don't know exactly what he wants me to do, so how do I do this? And this leads to uh, most congregants, most people in the Christian world saying, how do I apply this or that in my life? How do I apply this or that teaching? Or how do I apply this or that sermon or Bible passage? Uh, This is also what people are asking when they say, give me some practical steps. How many of you guys like practical steps for your faith and your life? Yeah. Uh, By show of hands, what we just found is the more planning-oriented people in the room. Anyway, but everybody else is like, whatever, we'll just figure it out, right? So, but I think we do like this idea of of knowing what we're supposed to do, what uh, what God expects of us in particular. All too often, though, faith or trust in God uh, ends up being twisted into some sort of strange, mystical, or blind experience, okay? Faith becomes mysticism. Faith becomes some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, crossing your fingers, which it, it, it is absolutely not. Uh, good people, as I see it, good people in the church everywhere spend a great deal of their lives waiting for God, Okay, And by this I mean they are good people, they deeply love God, they want to serve Him, but what they do is they just kind of sit there and say, I'm going to wait until God moves. How many of you have ever done that in your life? You're like, God, I'm not moving until you make me move or you do this. (laughs) How'd that work for you? Okay, moving on. Okay, so, right, so it's not, always, it's, it's not always easy, and that's not really faith, okay? Is the scripture clear that we need to wait on the Lord? Yes, but it's an active waiting. It's an active waiting. I'm going to show you that active waiting today. Uh, some people love to use uh, Christianese phrases, and they use this as their excuses for all of life. Um, so I'm going to step on your toes now if you're this person. Uh, but please hear me to the end before you go judging me on this, right? Uh, people live their life by this phrase, let go and let God. <laughs> please shut up. 
Anyway, sorry, I'm, that, was, that was rude and mean. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, so let go and let God. I actually do get what people are trying to get at with that statement, right? There's the, what they're trying to get at is, man, I really need to trust God in my walking, in my thinking, in my doing. Okay, I really do get that. But what it manifests itself into is absurd, right? Like, I don't care about things in life. God will work it all out. Doesn't work that way, people. It doesn't work that way, people. There are many things that God has called us to do, and I'm going to go back to those passages in James and prove that in just a second. Another thing that people do, and this is the more dangerous of the Christianese crappy statements, uh, is jump and the net will appear. <laughs> Try that bungee jumping, right? Jump and the bungee cord will appear. That's dumb, Okay, because here's what we're missing about faith. Fundamentally, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, we're going to get a little bit detailed into this here quickly. Faith has substance and faith has evidence. For Abraham, in uh, James's reference, Abraham was told to sacrifice his son. He was invited to the top of the mountain, but he was also told that God would provide. Okay, so what does Abraham do? He drags his 38-year-old son up the mountain, by the way. That boy was stupid, <laughs> right? Okay, so he drags his 38-year-old son up the mountain. Everybody's got this really dumb kid's picture in their mind of, of uh, Isaac being eight years old. He wasn't, right? He's like 38 years old. He walks up to the top of the mountain. At 38, you don't say, hey, Dad, I noticed there's no lamb, at the base of the mountain, you go, hey, dad, I'm not coming, <laughs> right? Unless you show the lamb, I'm not moving. So he drags his son up there, but he drags his son up there, or he walks with his son up there with the knowledge that God had spoken something to him. Faith has substance, faith has evidence, and you act on it, right? Rahab was given the same thing. That's the second reference James uses in this chapter. And Rahab was given a promise. If you will hide the spies, if you'll do these things, God will save you in the midst of all of it, all of this. And so what does Rahab do? She acts based on a truth, okay? Now here's the detailed piece of this. This is the, the stickier part. Faith having substance and evidence is not quite the same as two plus two equaling four, where we can understand the mathematics of something, we can understand it basically. Sometimes it's relational. And what I mean by that is sometimes you just have to go on the word God says to you. How many of you love that? You're like, no, not so much sometimes. Because God says stuff, and then I go, back to my, uh, I go back to my bedroom to pray it out, and I'm like, did I hear him right? Uh, maybe he said this. How many of you have second-guessed what God has said to you a million times? How many of you are liars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the idea, we all second-guess him. And guess what? I'm a professional Christian, and so I second-guess him all the time. Did you really say that, Lord? Is that what I'm supposed to talk about today? Are you Are you sure? This is really challenging, but we do this. So it's not like two plus two equals four in its substance and its evidence. It's very relational based. And when it's relational based, there can be misinterpretation. There can be challenges in our faith. So we have to do our best. And this is the piece of advice that I guess I would have for you to live by. We have to do our best to hear and understand God. And know that he has grace when we miss that. Yes? Yeah. Because sometimes we blow right past him. And he's like, okay, I get it. 
You didn't hear me clearly. It's all good. I hope you guys know that God even has grace when you ignore his idea and run the other direction. I'm not saying he will permanently have that grace. I'm saying if you look at the story of Jonah, God had a lot of grace for a guy who said, no, Lord, (laughs) right? Who in the scripture expressly said, I knew you were going to be gracious and compassionate, so I ran the other direction. What is this guy doing, right? So this is the point of it. So it's relational based and there's a lot to this. How many of you have been going through a trial in your life, a struggle in your life, and you confide in another person what you're going through and they give you the worst advice ever. They say, you just need to learn how to trust God. How many of you have ever heard that? How much, what's your response to that? You're an idiot. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Kim. That is really important. Because, because here's what is, we assume a lot of things in life, right? And one of the things we assume when we say trust God, if we don't have something to follow that up with, is we assume they're not. Wouldn't it, just be, wouldn't it be just as easy to assume they are trusting God and they just don't know how? Wouldn't it be just as easy to assume they are trusting God and they just need you to wrestle through the scripture with them and find out what the answer might be? So Kim shares that loudly. It was fun. Because the other week, we were sitting over here on this side of the auditorium, and she's been dealing with some things that have really affected her deeply as a mom as a follower of Christ, all of these things. And she had just come off uh, confiding in a friend about these things, and her friend effectively just said, you need to trust God more. But Kim is deeply trying to trust God. She's like really trying to work that out. So I said to her, Kim, I think you need to trust God. Well, she, she about ripped my head off, which I'll be honest, I believe she can. So anyway, so, um, but she, she about ripped my head off and, and before, she w- before she ended her tirade, I said, calm down, I'm actually going somewhere with this. I don't want to just tell you trust God and not anything else. I want to tell you trust God and I want to offer some suggestions on maybe how you might do that. Here's what you all need to understand today. James says faith without works is dead. The scripture tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? And the Bible itself gives us the how in a thousand ways, in a thousand ways, okay? There there are gray areas, which for a person like me and Kim, (laughs) uh, we don't like those gray areas. We like black and white, but... But there are gray areas, but still the Bible gives us how. And so when we say to each other, we need to trust God, what we need to do is invite each other into a journey of figuring it out. Amen? Because it's really easy to look at somebody assuming they do nothing right and say, you just need to trust God more. You're just horrible and you need to trust God more. You clearly don't get it. You need to trust God more. I have been infuriated when people have said that to me because They have no idea what I'm trying to do, right? And most people don't take the time to do that. So here's what we need to understand about Scripture, and then I'm going to go back into the James passage and walk through it verse by verse, and then hit you with a couple of practical ideas of what it would look like, according to God's Word, to trust God. The Bible itself is a textbook, 
Okay, It's a textbook. It's given to us for many, many reasons. It's got history in it. It's got poetry in it. It's got wisdom literature. It's got all of these different things, unique literature like uh, uh, the, uh, the Gospels, unique to their time, even unique to this day. It's got all this different liter- literature, but it is a textbook, and a textbook is used as a standard work for the study of any subject. And what we're studying is faith. Amen. What we're studying is how to walk after God, how to please Him. Amen? So so God has given us a textbook, but God didn't stop with the textbook. What have you guys all done with your college textbooks? Besides burn them. Okay, sitting on a shelf, sold them because they're too expensive. You know what's what's frustrating about, who said sit on them? Did somebody say that? No. What, What else do you do with your textbooks, college textbooks? What? Put them on a shelf, sell them, sell them. Okay, so here's the problem with selling your textbooks. As soon as the class is over, they've put out a new edition and your textbook is worthless. This is really lame. I don't, I I think they're just pulling one over on us. Anyway, the Bible is a textbook. God gives us a textbook, but God gives us a curriculum. And if you only use God's word as a textbook, it's going to do what it does for most people. It's going to sit on your shelf. It's going to collect dust or you're going to sell it, right? But if you understand that the Bible is also a curriculum, it will change how you approach the Scripture. What is a curriculum? It's an entire strategy that is employed to teach a particular subject. So the Bible is not only the textbook, textbook, it is the strategy for how to do faith how to live out faith, okay? Sadly, though, what often happens is that we're, um, we get really zeroed in on the, the prescriptive sides of God's text. We, we do want prescription in, in the Bible. We also need to know that the Bible is filled with descriptions, that is, just stories that were there for us to, to observe something, not tell us how to do something. But it... And we don't want the curriculum, so we don't want to spend time in God's Word. We just want somebody to tell us what to do. Just tell us A, B, and C. Just tell us that, right? That's what we want. We want the quick answer. That's not how life works, okay? And we're going to see that plainly. So, Pro Presenter team is going to go back to verse 1, or back to verse 14 of James chapter 2, and I'm going to walk through this, and then I'm going to give you guys some really important practical things. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? What's the implied answer? of no use whatsoever can faith save him what is the implied answer no what i thought nathan we were saved by grace through faith yes if you understand faith rightly not if you understand faith in this mystical nonsensical way verse 15 if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them go in peace Be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body. What use is that? What's the implied answer? It's of no use whatsoever, right? Even so, and this is really important, even so, if it has no works, faith is dead being by itself. Do you know that that uh, two verses, verse 15 and 16, about praying for a brother or feeding them or clothing them, this is only an example right? Don't get so caught up on this. What is really the focus is that it is the same as that, but James's focus is if you don't have faith that meets with works, it is as useless as you seeing somebody on the side of the street and saying, I'm praying for you, 
when they need a hamburger, right? This is no use whatsoever. And yet we come to church all the time and we say, I got faith. I got faith. I got faith. Are you doing anything with it? Are you doing anything with it? Because if you aren't, James is just really clear. It's dead. (laughs) It's dead. you're, You're not dealing with living and God is the God of life right he wants this stuff to be alive verse 18 but someone may well say and this is one of the most confusing parts about scripture because we don't understand rhetoric and we definitely don't go back in time to understand the context or even the way people wrote in a different time so verse 18 says but someone may well say you have faith and I have works Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's all one quote. So this is what the interlocutor of James is saying, his his debate partner, his arguer, right? And so he makes this character up to, to present an argument. And the argument would be, well, you have faith and I have works. So there's our contrast. I do stuff and you believe stuff. Okay, and then he says this, he says, show me your faith, this is the, this is the made up character, uh, show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then all of a sudden James comes back and corrects this. The reason why this is often misinterpreted, number one, is because we don't understand how they would have written, we don't understand rhetorical devices to, to try to lead us to a conclusion, and we also don't understand that there are two arguments present. There's not just one argument present. People claiming just faith without works. There's also people people claiming just works without faith. My works will justify me. No, they won't. Not by themselves. You have to trust in the one who commanded you, right? And I'm going to trust in God, but I'm not going to do anything. All of this is nonsense, okay? So, James talks about these this kind of argument that's going on. And here's his answer in verse 19. You believe that God is one. So whoever's arguing this point, this made-up character I've made, I want you to know you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe in shudder. Okay? So on par with this idea, you believe that God is one, but guess what? Believing something all by itself doesn't matter because the devil knows what's true. Doesn't he? The devil knows what's true stupid the demons believe and shudder but are you willing to recognize foolish fellow that faith without works is useless right it's dead it's useless it's not true it's a joke okay so all of this is this is there You notice that James does the same thing that Paul does to the Galatians and Paul does to the Corinthians and Paul does to the Romans that is he calls these people fools Didn't Jesus tell us, don't call your brother a fool? So what gives here? What gives here? There's a difference between you pointing out someone's foolishness, which you are allowed to do, and you condemning somebody by labeling them a fool, which is a hopeless person, right? There is a massive difference. You know how much I've benefited from somebody looking me in the eye and saying, Nathan, you are being very foolish right now. Barney's done that to me, <laughs> right? Just last week. No, he didn't. He didn't. But Barney has done that to me. He is a very trusted friend to me. And he can look at me and say, no, where are you at? 
Right? right here, what is happening is anybody who says, I can justify myself by my works, or I can justify myself by a faith that has no works, is being foolish. And James wants us to know that, right? So we need to understand that, because why? Because faith without works is dead, faith without works is useless. Verse 21, this is the example. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was, say it with me, church, perfected. Uh, We want our faith to be mature, don't we? Guess how your faith is matured and perfected? By you walking it out. How many of you went to college? How many of you then got a job afterwards and realized you didn't know what the heck you were doing? How many of you worked long enough and then figured out what you're doing, right? Because your actions teach you, right? Repetition teaches you. You trust God. You put it into practice. When you put it into practice, you become efficient. You become uh, mature in a particular area. We all need that. Amen. We all need that. Same is true for your faith, You cannot just walk through this life going, well, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Will you be saved in that truth? Repent and believe and you'll be saved. That's what the Bible says. Will you be useful to God's kingdom (laughs) on this side of heaven? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And I don't think any of us in this room want to be not useful. (laughs) I think all of us want to be God's and we want to be used by him and we want to be used by him in big ways. Amen. So here's how you do it. You have to walk out that you, your faith, your works have to work with your faith. And what happens then, just like Abraham is your faith is perfected. The scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, and you can't get clearer than this, and not by faith alone, and not by faith alone. It's almost like James cared about the solas of the Reformation by saying this, but the reality is you are not justified by faith alone. It is faith that has feet at all times, okay? Because otherwise it is dead, it is, it's a lie, Okay? Verse 25, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers uh, and sent them out by another way? The answer is yes, she was justified. Verse 26, and saved, by the way. Verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. That's a huge contrast right there, church. Just as faith, uh, the spirit without, the body without the spirit is dead, Faith without works is that kind of dead. Hmm. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Right? That's a pretty serious level of dead there, right? Okay, so here's here's what happened this week. I sat down across the table from Ryan Syvertson. Uh, Ryan is not here, I don't believe, this morning. Anyway, Ryan Syvertson. And he started walking me through uh, the dreams and aspirations that he and Allison Syvertson have, including uh, dreams to plan a family at some point in their life, right? And he said this of his wife. He said, when it comes to Allison, she is ready to have a kid. 
She is ready to be a mom. She was built for this, okay? And if you know Allison, it's very true, right? She is, she's ready. She's got this down, okay? And she's really excited about it. Now, that's not to say, and all moms in this room are staring at me like, <laughs> shut up, right? Uh, all moms are, are looking at me going, she'll learn. You're right. She will learn. But you've all met people that you're like, dang, they just seem natural at this, right? Like, this is very good. So Ryan says, Allison's ready. She's ready for this no matter what. And then Ryan looks at me and goes, and I'm going to screw it up. Not it as in being a a family man, it as in the child, because that's how bad of an almost daddy already is. It's an it. It's a child, Ryan. Anyway, so so, uh, so anyway, I'm going to screw it up, this thing that God gives me, right? And so he's struggling with this whole thing, and here's his justification. Here's what he says to me. He says, Nathan, I'm a planner. He is. He's actually a financial planner. He, he does finances for his life. And he says, I'm a planner. And please hear this. He said, I'm a planner, but I know I need to trust God. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, there's a false dichotomy, right? There's, there's a problem that you have here. You're, you're believing or a distinction without a difference. You, you think that because you're a planner, that means you're necessarily not trusting God? Who told you that load of nonsense, right? Why is it that because you're a planner, you can't trust God? And he's like, well, just, well, anybody that I ask, they're just like, well, just don't think about it. Just trust God. You see, we're back to the beginning. (laughs) Anyway, it's stupid, right? Right? So trust God. What does that mean, church? What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything, and if we keep using those phrases when people are dealing with real things in their life, what's going to happen is we're going to keep producing Christians who don't know what they're doing, right? They don't know how to trust God. Nobody told them. They're just like, just don't think about it. How many of you know what what happens when I tell you, don't think about purple elephants, You start thinking about purple elephants. What happens when you say, just don't think about it and trust God? It's the only dang thing you think about, right? I'm going to screw this child up. I'm going to do this. So I said, Ryan, okay, let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about what it means to trust God and to be prepared to actually be a dad. So I walked him through a couple of scriptures. I said, first of all, uh, you know that the scripture said that children are a gift of God, right? He said, absolutely. I said, it's a lie. <laughs> it, it's a lie. Anyway, hold on a second. I need my water. Where did it go? There it is. Okay, awesome. So I said, how many of you, or how, how do you know that children are a gift of God? He said, yes. I said, it's a lie. I said, well, it's at least partially a lie. What do I mean by that? <laughs> you know that the Bible also says to train up your child in the way they should go? You know what happens if God gives you 10 kids and you don't do that job? They're not a blessing. They're hell on earth. <laughs> Yay for children, right? Okay, so here is, actually, here is actually what I walked Ryan through. I walked Ryan through that faith has feet and God's textbook is also a curriculum that tells you how to do it. But if you don't listen you're not going to have much of a blessing. So listen to what Psalm 127, verse 1 through 5 says. And for all of you worship people out there, check this out. This is an amazing thing. This is a psalm of a sense. This is a psalm that 
doesn't seem to go, Lord, you're awesome. It's all to us. Listen to what happens here. First, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Who's the psalmist talking to? Not God. He knows he has to build things, right? So he's talking to people. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. There's an amazing truth about God, amen? He gives to his beloved. Now, what is the first half of this psalm all about? It's all about faith. It's all about trusting God. And the second half of this psalm starts to deal with how these things play out, okay? So first of all, remember this. God builds, if God doesn't build the house, you're laboring in vain, all right? Guess what? If God does not watch over the city or guard the city, all your ammunition doesn't matter. Okay? This is amazing truth, and we need to keep it in our mind. That doesn't mean you don't watch over your, your city. That doesn't mean you don't build your house. But what's happening? Faith with works, trust God, and do what he says. Amen? But it's always trusting in him. So he goes on to retire late, to eat bread, to, to do painful labors. This is all vanity if you're not trusting God. But if you are trusting God, all of that's necessary. We should work hard, amen? We should do painful labor. We should care deeply for all of the things of our life. God's word actually tells us that the man who doesn't work should not eat. That's pretty serious. But you have to do so in trusting God. So now let's go to verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Now in the context, what does that say? If, if it just told us that God has to build the, watch over the city, if it just said that God has to be building with you, what does this mean in this verse when it says children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward? It means that's true if God's the one building. It means that's true if we trust him in all the other things he told us to do. Train up your child in the way they should go. How many of you have teenagers? How many of you didn't train them quite in the way they should go and now you're sucking it up? Awesome. <laughs> that was, man, Kathy back there. <laughs> anyway, hand up, right? Okay, this is true. Is God a redeemer? Will God work it out? Yes. Calm down. Calm down. You can still trust the Lord, but all of this is in that context. So what's happening in this worship song? A bunch of instruction. It's amazing, right? Children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward if God is the builder. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Why? Because you're in a battle, and we're in a generational battle. And if you train your children in the way they should go, they'll actually be arrows with tips on them. Most of us are shooting arrows with nothing, right? So are the children of one's youth. Verse 5, how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They're, it's awesome if they have tips. Again, it's awesome if they are trained, if they are sharpened and ready. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. There's no cowardice. There's no fear in these children because you've trained them in the way they should go. See, we look at this and we say, I want to have faith in God. I, I want to I just trust God. But God says there's a way to do this. So Proverbs 22.6 tells us. It says, train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
I've spent a lot of time talking about whether or not Proverbs are, are supposed to be taken as absolutes, which they are not. Um, but you, you need to understand how this works. The idea, though, which is very important, is that if you train up your child in the way they should go, you are actually putting uh, feet to your faith, right? This is what it means to do what James says. If you don't, though, you can't just walk around saying, I have faith, God will take care of my kids. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. I'm not saying that God hasn't done that. I'm not saying that God hasn't overseen families that just didn't do a good job and he loved those kids. That has happened. I'm just simply telling you that if you're going to trust God or if you're going to say you trust God, you have to have works that meet up with it. Just like Abraham when he offers up Isaac, just like Rahab when she hides the spies, you are to train your children. There is a specific action that comes with your faith. So what this does is it, it puts us on the hook for something. Responsibility, right? Puts us on the hook for what we're supposed to do. We can't just go, Lord, I just hope my kids don't turn into Satan. Right? No. Train them. Faith with works, do the job, right? So I'm sitting down with Ryan, and he goes, well, this is very different than what I've been told. It's very different than what I've been told because I've been trying not to think about it. I said, I'm going to tell you to think about it a lot. And while you're thinking about it a lot, I'm going to tell you to search the scriptures, and I'm going to tell you to find the answers that you can work towards now. How many of you know the Bible says that a good man or a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Guess what? There's faith with works. Let's start working at it. Let's start working at it. Most of us can't even squeak to retirement without panic, right? And the Bible says that if you're going to be a faithful person with feet, you're going to look at it and say, I want my grandkids to be established so that this gospel, this truth can continue. Faith with feet. No more of this. You can't just wing it. That's not how life works, okay? And remember what James says about this, if that's the person that you are. He says, basically, your faith is useless. Your faith is dead. Now, is there grace in that? Is there, is there God wanting to, to love us even when we miss it, and even when we make mistakes, or even if we were t- not taught these things? Yes, God has grace for our ignorance, church. God has grace for our ignorance, and I'm grateful for that. I think you should be too. It, this is not panic. This is Get on the horse, right? Let's just let's start riding again. Let's start doing what God has told us to do. Let's look at money, for example, because Ryan is a money guy, and we continued into a conversation about this. And this is, this is really fun. Um, when it comes to money, you don't just hope God fills your bank account. <laughs> How many of you know that, <laughs> right? You, you don't. It doesn't work that way. Has God been gracious to me, in that, in the past, me and my wife, we, when, we first, uh, when I first started in the ministry, um, we were working for a church over in Eastgate, and I have no idea how the bills got paid a lot of times. It was the most confusing thing in the world. We literally sat down with the numbers and saw that there was no possible way. And then somebody at church on Sunday would give to us. Or we had one or two occasions where we went to the bank account and the bank account had more money than it was supposed to have and no explanation to how it got there. 
no explanation. We couldn't track it down. I don't know why, but we couldn't track this stuff down, and we were confused about it. We never, we, in all of our marriage, we have never been laid on a payment. Because God takes care of us even in our sleep, according to that psalm, right? He, he loves his people. He takes care of us. Um, but you don't just test the Lord. Let's throw ourselves off the temple mount and see if he'll catch us. This is, this is dumb. And Jesus told us it was dumb, right? Um, so what you do is you plan. You make, you make ideas. You, you go for things. So in Hebrews chapter 13, 5, here's what the word of God says. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. You know what faith with works starts with? An examination of your character. Is your character free from the love of money? And you know what I'm asking there. At this level, are you free from the love of money? At this level, are you free from the love of money? That's a, that's a wrestle, right? That's a hard thing. But it's faith with feet. So you have to start with a character evaluation. Uh, that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. Second faith with feet moment. Contentment. <laughs> I don't like that. I want more gadgets and toys. (laughs) Isn't that right, Trent? We want more gadgets and toys. No, but the idea is we're supposed to be content. That does not mean we never get anything. It means we have a heart position, uh, a posture towards the things we have. I'm teaching my daughters this all the time. Four little girls that they're not content in anything. One gets a Barbie doll. Everybody wants a new Barbie doll. No, no. So at Christmas time, I'm like, guess what we do at Christmas time? The Great Purge, that's what it's called. The Great Purge. We get rid of every toy that they own. If you bought them a toy, it's probably gone, right? We get rid of the toys. We get, we get it down to these few toys. And guess what happens on Christmas Day when they're down to these few toys? They're actually grateful for getting toys on Christmas instead of spoiled Heathens. Okay, so let's just go there. I'm going to keep it PG today. Okay, so the idea, though, is contentment. We all have to learn this. Faith with feet. Maybe you're in a place in life where you don't have a lot of provision right now. Could it be that God is actually teaching you contentment? Adam's the only one who wants to say yes to that. Everybody else like, I don't want to learn this lesson, Right? It's a hard lesson, right? But God may be teaching you contentment. And then look at what, says, what it says next. This is a powerful verse. For he himself has said, who is he himself? God has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. God doesn't say, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. Don't worry about where your money comes from. He actually says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. So here's what I want you to do. Make sure your character is free from the love of money and make sure you're content in what you have. In that, I will work it out. I will provide. I'll give you positions. I'll give you authority. I'll give you the things you need to do the stuff that gets you where you are, right? This is faith with feet, guys. We don't just get to cross our fingers and hope our bank accounts get filled, right? 1 Timothy 6, 9 uh, 9 through 11 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. This is back to James' statement. You're being foolish 
uh, fellow. Many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now I could spend hours doing the same old stupid, worn out Christian sermon about it's the love of money, not money. Don't care. You get it, right? Look at the practical steps that come to combat this issue. It's in the very next line. Verse 11. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. The Bible is not just a textbook, it's a curriculum. The curriculum teaches us how to do this stuff in life. God doesn't just say, don't love money. He goes, instead, I've got a plan for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to flee from these things. Lack of contentment, the love of money, all of that. I want you to flee from those things, you man of God. And I want you to pursue righteousness. I want you to pursue right standing with me. And how do we pursue that? By doing what he says. Amen? We obey God. I want you to pursue godliness. How many of you want to pursue godliness and want to look more like God? Yes. Where is it found? In a book called the Bible, right? We want to have faith or he wants us to have faith. He wants us to pursue love. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to be gentle. All of this church is what it means to have faith with feet, faith with works. But what we do is we tend to just go, I have faith. It's okay. I have faith. And what we mean by that, whether we know it or not, is God is somehow going to magically take care of this stuff. It's not how he works. It's not how he works. He's calling you to something. If you're a parent in this room and you want children to be a blessing, train them up in the way they should go. If you're a human in this room and you have to live using money, which is every one of us, right? Make sure that your character doesn't love it. Make sure this is free from the love of money. And make sure instead of those things, you are content. And while you're content, you pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness all the days of your life. Flee from the other stuff. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, but the borrower becomes lender to the slave. Dave Ramsey has made this passage uh, very famous because he says, The borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. Um, Back to Proverbs not being absolute statements. It's just not true all the time, is it? Right? I'm actually indebted to people. They're not my master. They're not trying to beat me into submission. But what is true about that statement at all times? I have a responsibility to pay that back, don't I? I have a responsibility to take care of that. So in some way, I'm in bondage. In some way, I have to look to that first and make sure I take care of it. Guess what faith with feet looks like? Be careful with how much debt you take. Be careful with that. Why? Because you're going to be a slave if you're not careful. It may move from just this kind of normal, cordial experience to something really bad if you're not paying attention. Faith with feet. Nobody needs to tell anybody in this room, just trust God. What we need to do is say, we need to trust God, and here's what God's Word says about that. What's your circumstance? What's your situation? This is the last one, and this is the most universal one that I could think of uh, to just kind of share with you, and that is understanding the will of God. Most of us want to know the will of God, and I mean 
personally for our lives. Amen? Amen. What does Ethan want to do for his calling in life? What does, what does anybody in this room want to do? That's a great question, and we all wrestle with these kinds of things. Now, if we take Ryan Syvertson's uh, bad advice that he was given, which is uh, just try not to think about it and let God figure it out, uh, we're going to miss what the Bible says about God's will. God's will for all of us, as I shared in a sermon that I still enjoy to this day, I think it was a very helpful sermon, and it was called Pick a Spot. (laughs) And I told you all that effectively God's will looks like this. God owns the parking lot in a grocery store, and he sure doesn't care where you park as long as you're in his parking lot. So pick a daggone spot. And all of us paralyze ourselves by by wondering, does God want me in the third spot from the door to the left? And the truth is, that's just because you're lazy and you don't want to walk. But but the idea is, we're paralyzing ourselves with where we're at, and God says, it's my parking lot. Pick a spot, right? I can confirm that in the scripture, and this should give you hope. If you want your faith to have feet when it comes to trusting God, listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, Proverbs 16, 3, commit your works or submit your plans to the Lord and your plans will be established. Submit your plans to the Lord and your plans will be established. Not true all the time. <laughs> Why? Because sometimes your plans are ungodly, <laughs> right? Hey, Lord, here's my plan. I figured out how to rob this bank. I've got a getaway driver. It's going to be amazing. We're going to be, it's just perfect. I thought it all through. So you establish that plan, Lord. And God goes, try again, bud, right? Okay, resubmit to the permit office. The idea, though, is that we in godliness go to God and we commit our works to the Lord. And God says that our plans will be established. Now let's fast forward to verse 9 of that same chapter. It says, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You know that that's not a contrast? It is not, this does not say man plans his way, but God has a better plan. That's how people read it. That's not what it says. What it says is man plans his way. And guess what he should have done to, to begin with? Submitted that plan to the Lord. And God would establish it. And then what does it say? It says, man plans his way and God directs the steps. You say, Lord, I'm going to go from here to Kentucky. I don't know why you would do such a crazy thing. James, anyway. (laughs) You go from here to Kentucky and God says, here's the path you take. The plan is yours. You've submitted it to God and God works out your steps. That's what the Bible says. But what we need to do is we need to get back to trusting God in a very concrete way. The Bible tells us what faith with feet looks like, church. It's not this. So when James comes out and says, faith without works is dead. It can't justify you. It can't save you. It will leave you hopeless. It's because you're just winging it. You're just meandering about in life and you're hoping God's going to clean up all the messes or do whatever you think he's going to do. That's not what the Bible says. So as a church, here's what my call to you is. My call is that we do become a people who trust God more. Amen? We trust him more every single day. In trusting him more, we need to crack the pages of that book 
to find out what that means. Amen? And we need to not give people pat answers that we don't understand. If somebody's going through something tragic or hard in their life, please don't go up to them and say, you just need to trust God more. First of all, you're assuming something you don't know. The first step that you should do is sit down with them and say, tell me about your situation. What's going on? What's happening? Why is this hard? What's the struggle in this? And then what you should do is you should journey together with them to figure out the answer. You should. And it should take time. It should take time. You guys should. You, it gives people a reason to sit down and have dinner together and have coffee together or just to sit down and talk. It gives reason for the church to fellowship and to commune with one another because what we're doing, instead of pretending like we know a bunch of answers, instead, we're trying to find the right answer for the right situation. And then when we employ that, we see faith having feet. Faith with works. That's when life happens in the church. Amen.